You are listening to the John Clark cast. My name is John Clark. I'm your host. I'm a licensed counselor. I'm a group practice owner and I'm a guide for therapists trying to build a better business without all the overwhelm. And last week I said this same intro and then I listened to it and I was like, what is going on? I sound like I'm on hyperspeed. Neither I had way too much coffee or I swear I thought it was like the settings were messed up or something. And I even had my wife listen to it. And I was like, this is driving me nuts. Why do I sound like a crazy person? And I never really figured it out. So I think it was just too much coffee. So now I'm trying to speak at a very normal rate. And uh, maybe I'm going too slow now. I'm overthinking it. But that's life and that's me. So um, today's episode is a, a solo episode. And I'm answering some listener questions. Uh, I'm also checking in a little bit. I'm still out here in San Francisco. So without further ado, let's dive in. I want to show you how building the business of your dreams is entirely possible. When you have a plan and you have a guide, it's way easier to get there. It's way easier to achieve things that that you simply can't achieve on your own. Um, schedule a free strategy call with me at thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me. Thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's Monday, November 26th, and I'm very happy that you're here with me today. Hope you had a good weekend. Um, for most people, a long holiday weekend. So hope you enjoyed that and had, had some time with your family and whoever you're with. So um, today we are going to be uh, uh, answering some listener questions and that's about it. I don't really have a um, kind of like a lesson or a, a theme for the episode today. I'm just going to get into three, three or four listener questions that I think will take up um, most of the time today. So um, that's what that's what you can expect. Uh, I'm still out here in San Francisco for one more day, heading back tomorrow, and um, the air has cleared up quite a bit because of the rain over the over the past week. So that's been uh, much needed and much appreciated. And, um, yeah, you know, the, the Bay area is looking like the Bay area again. So that's always kind of nice. Um, let's get into it. Okay. So this first question comes from the Facebook group and, um, I'm not going to say the therapist's name in part because this is a sensitive topic for a lot of folks. And, and, and I understand that the topic is fees. So she says, I thought of a question based on a reaction I had from another therapist when I told them my private pay fee. The question is, should you base your fee on how many years you have been licensed? Which is a really interesting question. The second part is a really interesting question because I've, uh, to be honest, never really thought of it that way specifically or thought of like, if you've been licensed X number of years, then your fee should be higher or is kind of allowed to be higher in, in quotations, allowed. But let's talk about the first part. And for those of you who've heard me talk about this before, it's a bit of a soapbox because I think it has to be. So um, getting a reaction from another therapist based on your fees is 
part of the how we perpetuate the culture of keeping our industry undervalued in a big way undervalued in the minds and the eyes of consumers and the general public um and so by doing that people value therapy less because we value it less and we're too afraid to value it higher and as a result we 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 just perpetuate this among other therapists of keeping ourselves under this glass ceiling. I will, I'll say this. I remember the, um, when I was unlicensed in San Francisco or pre-licensed in San Francisco and sat down with, with my then supervisor and, and he was charging, I don't know, 160 at the time or something. He sat down and said, well, um, yeah, I need to set my fee. This is going to be my very first client private practice fresh out of graduate school. And I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe that people would pay me money to do something. Um, you know, it was just that feeling. And I, and I did, um, I had worked other jobs. I worked, in, I had worked in mental health for years before, even before graduate school. Um, so I'd done that work, but working hourly and doing in-home and doing agency work and earning 20 bucks an hour or 30 bucks an hour, whatever it is. But when it came down to, to, to sit down, when it came to sit the time to sit down and, um, just, put a number on it, put a number on what is an hour with me worth. It was like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe I have to do this. And where do you even find such a number? I probably looked at his fee and the fee of other licensed people in San Francisco at the time and said, well, I can't, I certainly can't charge that. So I should charge a good bit lower. So how about 120 or something like that? And I remember saying that and I was, I said it like even to him, like as if it was a question like 120 waiting for him to like laugh or scoff or whatever. Cause I didn't know, I didn't have any, um, anchor points for how much therapy is worth or worth in, in, um, in the San Francisco area. Right. So I remember saying it and he just looked at me and kind of shrugged and was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, like he was, I think in his mind, he's probably like, mm-hmm, at, at minimum. Yes. And I remember that still that, you know, again, that felt like a really big leap of sorts. It felt like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so uncomfortable to ask to charge this um, for people, given that I had done therapy for so much less um, up until that point and, and worked in mental health for so much less. So I set the fee and I remember the first time I kind of pitched it to a prospective client and um, I, it's more about us dealing with our own insecurities and anxieties than it is about them, true, people being truly uncomfortable with the fear, truly being able to not afford it. Uh, so for someone to come and work with me at that fee, let's say 120 or whatever it was, let's say they come for some shorter term therapy, eight or nine sessions, 10 sessions. Let's just say for a nice round number, they spent $1,000 on therapy. Well, people spend $1,000 on a lot uh, a lot dumber things than therapy and they do it willingly and they go to great lengths to provide something for themselves, whether it's, let's say a vacation or even a flight across the country and back, um, or a hotel for a domestic, you know, vacation for a few nights or whatever it is, you know, a gadget, a thing, a TV, the new iPhone, um, People spend money really willingly on things that they're <clears throat> that they already per- perceive the value for, and that where the value is perceived as high. So, yeah, we know that we are going to spend about a thousand dollars on the mark for an iPhone because we value it a lot. 
And so when Apple goes, mm, this is a thousand dollar phone, we go, mm, okay, I, I want that, <laughs> you know? And here's the interesting thing. If anything, it makes you value the thing more. And the same is true for therapy. So when I spend a thousand dollars on my iPhone, guess what? I value it more. I'm, uh, I'm going to take better care of it. I'm going to get more out of it. I'm going to actually, well, I'll actually rationalize myself into the purchase. It's the same thing when you, if you buy a new car and you drive it off the lot, you start rationalizing yourself into that purchase you just made. Even after all your indecision and your ambivalence and your back and forth and your questioning of yourself, the second you drive off the lot, you go, this is right. Yeah, this is good. I'm glad I got a red Jetta. I'm really, you know, this is the right decision. I really value this. So that, that happens as well. Now, I'm not saying we need to, you know, gimmick clients into paying for therapy or paying X amount of dollars for therapy. Because this is, and again, this is where I hear the voices of therapists in my mind as I'm even talking about fees. You're going, well, that's unethical. You're charging too much. That's this and that. Well, it's not like buying an iPhone. You're right. You're right about all those things. And if we don't, if we don't, push this conversation forward, we're not going to push the industry forward. And as a result, we're not going to push the perception of therapy and therefore mental health as an issue in our country forward. So I know this gets a little bit political, but it has to. It's up to us. We are the stewards of our industry, of our profession, you, me, everyone everyone in this industry. It's you. It's not, it's not anyone else. It's not APA or ACA or anyone who's going to do this for us or push, push the industry forward for us. It's you and it's me. And coming back to this question, we have a, uh, an uncanny ability to oppress one another in the industry. And even using that word is kind of finicky. It's kind of like, you know, it's weird to use that word right? And I'm, I'm self-conscious about using that word, but I don't know how else to describe it. So, you know, as that, that's the first thing I think, don't talk, just don't, if it, if it's not going to help, you don't have to talk about your fees with other therapists, but if you are, make sure you have your mental mindset, um, locked in as you're doing it. Um, get really comfortable with the idea of your fee, get really comfortable with, um, with stating your fee of stating your value of holding your value and demonstrating that in your fee. Um, a, a lot of therapists also ask things like, you know, should I list my fees on my website? We could talk to, talk for an hour about that, but I'm going to tell you my rule of thumb. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but my rule of thumb is this. If you are still trying to get full in your practice, don't list your fees on your site. Reason being, you'll get more people picking up the phone to ask you questions like, how much do you cost? But you give yourself the ability to have that conversation with more people versus them self-selecting based on your fee or based on their perceived value. Because again, clients don't know what therapy is worth yet. They don't know if you're charging 150 is 150 normal or normal for my area or normal for EMDR or whatever. We we have to tell them, we have to walk them through that. Now, if you are full and um, you you don't need as many inquiries, put your fees on your site so that people can self-select. Ultimately, it's up to you. That's just a, a, a quick decision making tree that I came up with to help therapists who are constantly asking that question. Should I put my fees on my site? So there you go. Um, again, it gives you the chance to demonstrate and tell potential therapy clients how much therapy costs. Therefore, 
how much therapy is worth. And you demonstrate some of that worth to them through the initial phone call. Now, so this person, this therapist had this question about their private pay fee and someone probably scoffed at it. Um, I'm just, I'm guessing that that's the case because uh, this person said, I thought of a question based on a reaction I had from another therapist when I told them my fee. I'm just assuming the reaction was one of judgment or criticism or just like, oh, wow, well, how many years have you been licensed? You know, they probably were like, another therapist was trying to create a reference point in their mind of like, well, if you're charging X and I've been licensed as long as you, or I'm as whatever as you as experienced, or I did the EMDR training as well, therefore I should be able to charge X. That's not how this works, guys. Um, there's, here's, here's another little experiment for you. We'll do that. I did this kind of last week, a little experiential exercise. So, um, I, there's a, there's a therapist in San Francisco actually. And yes, fees are higher in San Francisco, but I think typical fees anywhere between 150, 160, maybe, maybe 200, maybe 250, right? Um, 250 probably being on the higher end, but I want you to gauge your reaction to this. There's a therapist in San Francisco who consistently charges 375 per session and has a full practice. You have to just notice your reactions to that. What, what's, what comes to your mind? What reactions do you have? What feelings do you have? Does it make you uncomfortable? Does it make you kind of, you know, squirmy? Does it make you angry? Do you think, well, what the hell? Like, is he famous? No, he's not. He's just like you and me. Then what gives him the right to charge that? Well, he gave himself the right to charge that. And he just started doing it. And he's got a full practice. When your fee is higher, a higher fee, when your fee is higher, people have higher buy-in to you and the therapy you provide. People have better engagement to you in the therapy you provide. And guess what? People statistically have better results when they're more bought in. Now, talk about the social justice piece. In my opinion, and I'm given I'm in a market where most people are, are insurance-based, but I've, in my opinion, when I control the value and of, of what the product I'm selling, the service I'm selling, I control the revenue of the business. I don't leave it to someone else to control. When I do that, this is the people that can pay the high fee, pay the high fee. The people who cannot do not doesn't mean, but I can still see them in my practice because the people who can afford the higher fees pay the higher fees. That, that is the actually the actual thing that gives me and my clinicians the ability to slide for people who can't the ability to do, we do pro bono work for people who can't. So it's not one or the other, you know, and it's not like <clears throat> just there person in San Francisco charging 375. I don't know if he does pro bono work. It's up to him. But if he wanted to, he could because he's feeding himself first. And I think that's really smart. That's smart. And he's not going to get burnt out by his practice. He's not going to see 30 clients a week and overwhelm himself. He's going to have a really strong business that feeds him, takes care of him. And his clients, especially in a place like San Francisco, are going to take therapy that much more seriously. Because here's what happens when you get on the phone with someone. 
So if I call and I'm already thinking, yeah, this therapist might be a therapist for me. And I say, what's your fee? And he says, well, it's $75 a session. My reaction is, okay, it's not worth much. Let's say in San Francisco, just for this reference point. So in my mind, even on an unconscious level, I go, okay, 75, it's affordable. It's, it's even cheap as some might, you, you know, might think. Therefore, it's not worth much. That same therapist says it's 375. It changes perception right away. If it's 375, I go, this must be worth a lot. This guy must be really good. I should take this really seriously. I, because here's the thing. People actually want to invest in themselves. So you should always be pushing the limits of what you should charge. Whatever you think you should raise your fee to, add 40 to $50 to that right now and see how that feels. Just, I just challenge you to pitch it to the next person that calls. Whatever your fee is now, add 40 to 50 bucks to it. Pitch it, see what happens. If they say no, they say no. But pitch it, see what happens. And then decide if you're going to raise your fee or not. I think everyone with your private pay fees, it doesn't matter if you're insurance or insurance and some private pay, you should be raising your private pay fee at least twice a year. So a $10 raise for yourself, a $10 fee increase over 20 clients. I have to do this math so I don't screw it up, but the number is always kind of impressive. $10 times 20 clients. I should have known that $200. (laughs) $200 extra a week. Let's say you work 48 weeks a year. Guess what? That's almost a $10,000 raise for yourself. There's $9,600. $10 extra per session. You give yourself almost a $10,000 raise. Your raise in an agency, you're lucky if you get two, three, four, five percent 5% for doing a killer job and busting your tail. Um, so, that's the math adds up because our fees are recurring because it's weekly for most of us. Those fees really add up. So the second part of, of this question was, should you base your fee on how many years you've been licensed? I don't think so. I don't think so. And in fact, after I um, moved along in San Francisco, even when I was so pre-licensed, I started charging what licensed people were worth because therapy is worth a lot, you know? Um, the other thing to do here is to, so, so I'd say, no, don't base it how many, on how many years you've been licensed, base it on something totally different. Um, I think reverse engineering is a good, a good way to do it. So if I take out my calculator here and I say, so for a lot of therapists, and I know I've done this before, they want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. A lot of therapists are working toward that point. 100k. I'm going to add about 30% for for uh, expenses and taxes. So let's say it's $130,000 a year. I need to make 100 I need to sorry, gross revenue needs to be 130. I'm going to divide that by 48, which is the number of weeks I'm going to work. That's taking off 4 weeks a year. I need to generate that means I need to generate $2,708 a week. Okay? So I need gross revenue to be at $2,708 a week. Got it? From there, how many clients do I want to see a week? Let's just say a nice round number. Let's say it's 20. Fairly comfortable, a full but comfortable practice. So 2708 per week divided by 20. Your fee is 135. It's not that bad, right? So a lot of you are thinking, wow, that's, super, that's actually more attainable than I thought. Or my fee is already higher than that. 
right? And if that's the case, you just need to look at your retention and your volume of your practice. But that, that's how we do it, you know? So I would say that's how you set your fees. That's, that's one way to set your fees, right? That's a, that's a way that I would suggest you at least try it. Try reverse engineering the math like that. Otherwise, your fee is about perceived value, and your fee is yours and yours alone. So you set that fee, you push the limits of what that fee is, you base it on your goals, your, the way you value yourself and your therapy, your market, your demographic, your values, everything. You have to figure this out for yourself. But I, I challenge you to push the limits of what you think this should be, what you think your fee should be. Man, how am I going to get off that soapbox and onto something else now? <laughs> I guess I'll find a way. Let's check the time. Wow. I riffed on that for 20 minutes. Whoops. Next question. Um, um, uh, Jessica says, what's the best place to find good clinicians? I've talked about that in another episode. So I'm going to talk about, um, uh, let's see. She says totally different topic. How can the concept of a sales funnel be applied to a counseling practice? Brilliant question. Um, so, oh my gosh, I need to turn off my notifications. Okay. So how can the concept of a sales funnel apply to a counseling practice? Um, man, one second. Okay. (laughs) Sorry about that. Super rude. I love this question. The concept of a sales funnel can absolutely apply to a counseling practice because guess what? You already have a sales funnel. Your website is a sales funnel. The, the, the idea of a sales funnel is if you visualize um, an actual funnel, wide at the top, narrow at the bottom, people typically enter your funnel at the top and they make their way down and eventually they go all the way through that funnel and they buy or they call or they take the action or they do whatever they're going to do. Um, so I think in general, I even think about your homepage as the top of your funnel. Your homepage is a place where a lot of people land, a lot of people enter your website. And at that point you need to take them into the more, um, uh, narrow parts of your, um, funnel. So for most, for most people, the next stop from your homepage is a place like your, one of your services pages or a bio page and eventually a get started now page. That's kind of the last stop in the funnel, the most narrow part of the funnel. So from there, from your call to action, then they find themselves on a call with you or a 15 minute consult or just scheduling that appointment and they've gone all the way through the funnel. That initial phone call is kind of the end of the funnel, right? The most narrow part. They've gone all the way down and they've actually converted. That's great. So that's, that's one way to look at this question and a sales funnel is, can look a lot of different ways. A sales funnel can, could even just be, um, a a landing page that says, get the help you need now with a button on it. And that button books a a 15 minute call on your calendar. That's a sales funnel. So it doesn't have to be, um, 
it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to, it, it doesn't have to be really complex and have all these moving parts and all these different landing pages and automation and email sequences and all this stuff. You can get into that stuff as part of a funnel. You can get really complex with it, but for most of us, for most therapists, you don't really need to. Now, for clients or for people who are maybe not quite ready to start therapy with you, or if you are running an online business or a side hustle, an online course, you have your own podcast, you're, you're doing the online entrepreneur thing. Um, a, a different kind of funnel might be a good idea for you. So if you have opted into my email list <clears throat> through a number of different ways, you've gone through um, uh, part of my funnel. Um, technically, you're in it right now. You're at the very top of it, which is free content and stuff that I'm just I just give away. The idea, and really the business model, just to tell you, to show you what this, how I, how this all works, is at the very top with free content. I hope that each of you will travel down to a more narrow part. The next narrow part is when I say, "Go to thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me." Then you set. We set ourselves up for a call. You get added to my email list. And through that, um, you're in the next, the next more narrow part of my funnel, right? Um, there's different things too. You could buy the paperwork packet. You could, um, uh, yeah, you, you could do all sorts of different things, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm looking for different ways to get you to a more narrow part of the, the funnel, basically, that's really, that's really all it is. Now, the other thing is when you, if you opt into my email list through downloading the, a free guide or a lead magnet or whatever, you're going to get um, what's called a drip or a nurturing sequence, an email sequence, email automation sequence, whatever. You can, there's a lot of different ways to call it. But what happens is you sign up for the email list and as a way to kind of warm you up to getting to know me, I, I, I send you some automated emails to start that relationship. And then at some point you go further down the funnel through these emails, right? So that's, that's basically what, what we're doing with that, right? Um, so if, if you, like I said, if you have a side hustle, you're trying to sell a course or something like that, or if you have a lead magnet on your website, that goes into your email list, you might set up a really basic email sequence um, to warm up these new leads of yours. So it might be a five-part mindfulness series that goes out automatically when they sign up for your email list. Or when they join the practice, you could do a five-part email series on mindfulness or a five-part automated email series on how to get the most out of therapy. That'd be really cool. I'm kind of digging that idea now that I say it out loud. <laughs> I'm like, I should have should do that for my own practice. But I think that would be really cool. You know, at that point, you're warming up a lead that's already converted. But I don't. I think it's it could be great to still um, deliver them that value. So that's that's my question. You know, I would suggest just getting started with the idea of it. Just understanding the idea of a funnel, and f- and thinking about how your website is that funnel and how people are traveling into the more narrow parts and getting clear on where you want them to go within your website and those more narrow parts. That's, that's really what's, what's important. All right. That's, that's it for that question. Last one comes from Jennifer. What tips do you have to help people stay on your website for longer? Um, so the, the, the obvious one here is your content marketing, 
You're, you're not just the content on your services pages and your bio page. That's, that's only going to keep people there for a very short period of time. And they're making, usually making a decision to, it's a yes or no. Should I work with you or should I not? So it really comes down to your content marketing, your blog, your video blog, your podcast. Um, your content is, um, your content marketing is the way to get people to, to stay on your site longer. I have some tips for how to go a little bit deeper with that. You should think about linking your content to other content. That's one way to do it. And think about this idea of opening a feedback loop for someone. What's a feedback loop? So um, it's, there's, I think the, the term for it is the Zygarnik effect. You might have studied this in psychology or social psychology or something, but it's the idea of like when you open a loop for someone, they need to close it. So when you give them partial information, they need to complete that set of information in their mind and close it. So the idea would be if I'm writing a blog piece or something, I might say, you know, seven ideas, seven mindfulness exercises, and I might list five of them in one piece of content. And after the fifth, I'll say, you know, for the, for the last two or the, the top one and two mindfulness activities that you should start today, click on this video or watch this video and it goes to another page and it has, let's say, a, a video embedded on your website. So I think you can do things like that to really keep people moving around on your site and not just getting bored with maybe one piece of content. The other, the other idea with that is to feed into your email list. You could offer the first three mindfulness exercises and say, to get the full list, click here to, to, to get on the email list. To get the full list, click here to download the free PDF. And then you've helped them close that loop and you've added someone to your email list. So that's, to me, that's a real win. Um, but again, yeah, otherwise it's, a, it's all about giving people the option to go deeper into your website and also giving them the option to basically leave the funnel at some point, which means they take action and convert. So through your, through your content marketing, yeah, you want to educate, entertain, inspire people, add value to pe to people's lives, but you also want to give them the chance to convert if they want to convert. So don't ever underestimate the value of strong, repetitive calls to action throughout your entire site, throughout all of your pages, including your blog and your content marketing that you, that you work hard to put out there. So, um, you, you've always got to be keeping that stuff in mind. Um, we, this is all, every bit of this is taught in depth in uh, our online training program. Um, excuse me. So that's, yeah, that's what I would say about keeping people on your site for longer. Um, and the last part I would say is study your Google analytics. Uh, make sure you have your Google Analytics set up so you can actually get some insight and some statistics and data in, in, into what people are doing on your site. Where are they spending most of their time? It might surprise you. And if you have one piece of content that's doing really well, well, you need to take note of that and replicate that content or go deeper into that that theme or whatever it is. So there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with that when you get a little bit scientific about it. Um, so yeah, all stuff to think about, guys. Um, I said this last week, but, um, this stuff can be tricky, but it doesn't have to be private practice can be tricky, but it doesn't have to be. If you want to hit six figures for the first time, or if you want to, um, scale into that group practice, you've always dreamed of, or be able to take two months a year off or, um, get out of debt or grow a seven figure business. I'd love to help you get there. Um, all you have to do is go to thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me 
to book a uh, free strategy session. You can do that now. Uh, I've got slots for just um, for some free strategy sessions right now, limited time. Um, but I'd love to hop on a quick call with you and see um, and, and learn more about you and your practice and where you want to be and what's getting in the way. Thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me. Um, that's it for this week, guys. We will see you soon. Um, I believe Wednesday for an interview episode. I've got to talk to Laura about who that's going to be, but um, um, we will get that. Um, we'll, we'll figure that out soon, and, and we will see you Wednesday for our, our interview episode. Hope you have a great couple of days, and I'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.